Hey gang, Vadim here from the DIY Recording Guys and Calm Frog Recording, doing a quick episode today on tips and tricks for collaborating on music remotely. Ben and I had a conversation about this offline and we thought, hey, you know what? Let's record this and release it as an episode. Also curious to hear what you guys are doing. What are some strategies? What are some creative ways that you found to collaborate remotely as we're all affected in some way by this quarantine? So enjoy the episode and reach out to us. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Welcome to another episode, a quick mini episode, hopefully, of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm your host, Vadim Karaz from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Benjamin Hall from DreamLoud Studio. Ben, you and I have, we've talked a little bit about how we're both affected by this quarantine as are most people, I think. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a blessing and a curse because you get to stay home and if you're a musician, maybe that means you get to work on some music. But it's also kind of a stressful and frustrating time. And specifically for bands, I know, well, you are are in a band and you guys were affected. You had an awesome St. Patrick's Day show that was canceled. Yeah. How'd that go down, by the way? Well, how did it go down? Like, yeah, we're, like who notif- who canceled it? Was the venue cancel it? We first heard from Daniel, not Daniel Tompkins, he's Tesseract, um, the lead singer from Contortionist. I think his name is Dan also. I could be wrong about that. I'm getting my names confused, but... We saw first from his Instagram story. That's where we first saw. Ugh. He he said that's rough. Tours canceled. Go, we're going home. Sorry, everyone. And it just kind of, in one matter, it kind of um, sucks to hear from the unofficial people. I guess first, and and they weren't even the headliner. Haken was the headliner. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure that they, everybody involved with the tour, they probably talked it over and and weigh their options, but I didn't realize, but Haken is from the UK. So as soon as stuff started uh, shutting down or people started getting worried about, you know, am I going to be able to fly? I'm sure that they said, we need to get back to our home country before they shut down the borders. So I'm pretty sure that that's what happened more than, more than them being fearful about it. Um, So it just wound up happening and it's totally understandable, but we heard, we heard from them and then I started getting messages on Facebook from my friends and family who I invited saying, is this show still happening? And it just was kind of a chaotic day because we're going back and forth with everybody saying we don't have all the info yet, but probably not. Gotcha. Yeah, I know a lot of bands in, in the Philly area who had tours planned or shows planned. Uh, obviously, South by Southwest was canceled. So Bands are definitely affected and it sucks because those things are hard to book and they're a source of revenue for bands. So really frustrating stuff. You and I were also personally affected a little bit. Um, You obviously had wedding plans, which were affected for April. And I got a little bit stuck in Connecticut, which is where some of my family live. So anyway, we we got to talking while this was all going on about different ideas for collaborating remotely and we thought it could be a cool episode to share some of these tips with our community on ways you can 
not be affected, not be slowed down. You'll certainly be affected, but ways on you can you can still collaborate on music remotely with your bandmates or possibly even with some new co-collaborators. So I also wrote a blog post on this. If you want to check out my blog, um, we're kind of actually, I actually wrote the blog post after we spoke. So most of the ideas were generated from our discussions. So <laughs> I got to give you some credit for that. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's get started talking about a few things here. Uh, the first one I had on my list was to agree on key session parameters in advance. And this just means what kind of audio files are you generating? Let's say you're working on a song. When you open up your session, you're going to have some options. If you remember the, uh, the bitrate episode, which I think was episode nine, uh, we talked about bit depth and sample rate. And those are two things that are kind of setting those is within your control. And if you and whoever you're collaborating with kind of agree on the settings you're going to use, it's going to make importing songs that another person did much easier. So if you're using mm -hmm. the same session parameters, and you can kind of seamlessly drag and drop those files into your sessions. Uh, so I'm not going to recap the whole episode there, but for bit depth, we talked about if you're if you care about quality at all, you pretty much want to use 24-bit audio. Although you may not care about quality if all you're doing is sharing ideas and writing songs. In that case, you can use a smaller bit depth and get smaller files. Mm -hmm. For sample rate, again, we talked about kind of the minimum you want to use is 44.1 kilohertz, which is the Redbook standard. Um, you can go higher than that, which I think Ben convinced me in that episode to go higher. <laughs> I'm now using yes. 48. Um, but um, probably not a good idea to go above 88.2. And again, one thing you have to be conscious of is how big your files are because they're going to take longer to upload and longer to download. Just an aside about that, we didn't talk about it in the sample rate and bit depth episode, but uh, a big reason why I wouldn't record at a higher sample rate than that is that um, my interface gets limited to the amount of outside external channels that it can add on. So I think it maxes out at 48 kilohertz is the highest sample rate that you could still record 16 inputs with. And once you go any higher, then I'd have to cut, cut it down to eight. So that's, that's right. a limiting feature there. And I feel like 48 is well enough quality um, to still get my 16 inputs. Agreed. Yeah, and that's a good point. Yeah, if you go, so your, um, your interface may limit you, actually, if you get into those higher sample rates, it may limit your channel count. And certainly, I think we both agree that, you know, even the difference between 88.2 and 48 or even 44.1 is virtually indistinguishable in terms of sound quality for most of the uh, sources we're talking about. What's your, um, you're a PC guy also, what's your standard for audio format? Because that would be the other session parameter is what, uh, what your audio files are actually, you know, kind of like what the extension is after the, the period there in the file name. That's a good question. I like to I like to work in wave format as much as possible. One because it's quicker to export. Like if I'm if I have a session set up and I'm recording in wave format, then it's going to export much quicker than if it has to also convert to an MP3. Um, so just for ease of use, I'll use waves when, whenever possible. But if I have to share files and I want to share a lot of files back and forth. Um, 
I'll use an MP3 coded to still still 44.1 kilohertz, but coded to 256. Um, is that kilobits per second? Yeah. Yeah. I know you can go one higher to 320, but I mean, I can't, I can't hear, or I feel like I really can't tell or hear the difference between 320 and 256. And especially if you're just sharing files back and forth with band members, you, any little bit of, uh, any lower you can bring that, um, that bit depth down, it just saves on the file size. It makes it easier to email back and forth. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, so the distinction there is when we talk about wave files.wav, that's a lossless file format for Windows specifically. The comparable format for a Mac is AIFF. So those are lossless files, which means they, you kind of, what you see is what you get. There's no loss of resolution. And MP3 is considered a lossy format. And so the files are much, much smaller, like a three minute file could be, you know, 40 megabytes in a WAV format, but that same file would be four megabytes in, as a 256 MP3. And so, yeah, if you're just sharing ideas for songwriting purposes, MP3s are a great way to go because it'll be much quicker. And most DAWs can import MP3s, so they might have to do some conversion, but they can do it. Um, and to your point, 256 versus 320, I've never done that shootout, but what really kind of blew my mind was hearing the shootout between 320 kilobits per second mp3 and like a wave file and there's not that much difference there either so the new mp3 encoders are really good for mp3s yeah i i agree with that like when i send out mixes for revisions to clients i'll, I'll send them mp3s all the time yep. just because i know that there's not going to be a significant difference between that and the wave absolutely and it's also how music is distributed right when you're streaming uh, so yeah. your streaming services are typically using MP3s. So yeah, yep, very valid point. Okay. Number two on this list was mind stereo and mono, and it's kind of a similar consideration there. So a mono file just means it has a single channel of audio, whereas a stereo file has two channels of audio. And so a stereo file will be twice as big where you can get into trouble is that if you're not careful, your DAW may prefer to export files as stereo, even if they're mono. And so you're going to get a bunch of stereo files that don't need to be stereo files, which makes yeah. them, first of all, twice as big. So they're going to take twice as long to upload. They're going to take twice as long to download. And then whoever you're sending them to may have to even figure out, hey, is this really a stereo file or can I split this into mono? And mm -hmm. the, the crazy thing is that most of our sources are actually mono sources, right? Like your guitar is a mono source. Every microphone is a mono source. The only time we really get into stereo sources for recording uh, would be like maybe like a synth output or a keyboard output, or if you're getting into mic pairs, like if you have like a stereo pair of room mics for your drum sound or something like that. Can you think of any others? No, not re not really. I think you covered all the bases with that. And even with the stereo pair of microphones, I prefer them to be separated into mono channels. Like sometimes I'll get. Um, sessions where the overheads are recorded as a stereo pair and there, there's nothing wrong with that but i would just prefer having full control over mono sources mm. than stereo sources interesting so when you yeah when you're doing your mixing if you have something like overheads or room mics you're still treating them as two separate mono files panned hard left hard right yeah i i like to work that way because gotcha um 
sometimes I might have to fine tune like how wide I want them or, or narrow, or maybe they weren't positioned exactly where I would like them. And I have to make one wider than the other. I've actually had that problem before with, um, overheads that weren't set up correctly. And so it sounded like when they were panned evenly, it sounded like the snare was coming from one of the, one of my headphones, uh, ear speakers more than the other. So it sounded like the snare was off on my left ear. Yeah, I've had the same thing happen. Yeah, that's always funny. You're like, why is the kick drum pan left? And it turns out yeah. it's like room mics or something like that. So yep. yeah. Cool. Um, number three I had was set up a tempo map and a click track and build everything on top of them. I'll, I know you're a big fan of this, so I'll let you kick this one off. Uh, what do you mean set up everything? So like, you know, basically build your song around a... Uh, like a click track and tempo map so that um, the other person can basically, when they load your files in, they also have a, like a tempo map they can work off of instead of just having your free jazz form yeah. um, <laughs> rhythm. This is such a big deal because, um, especially if you want to add any effects later, and sometimes I'll, I'll put additional plugin effects on a guitar, like a delay. And if your session isn't already synced to the tempo that you're playing the song at, that temp that uh, that delay is going to have to be set by ear and hand instead of just setting a quarter note delayed that goes along with your song tempo already. It just makes everything so much easier. Um, and let's say there's a tricky part in the song. Let's say you're working in odd time signatures, five four, even three four, um, and you need a band member to play over a section and they're having difficulty getting it, uh, then you can just turn on your click track and it's already set up to play along with. It's, it, it just makes it so much easier to uh, add all these um, aids to the recording process. Absolutely. It can be really, I mean, again, it depends on whether you're just sharing ideas or whether you're trying to actually make like a finished recording, but it can be super hard to play to somebody else's tempo that they have in their head. And especially if there's a tricky part. So like if you're sitting in the same room together, you at least have a lot of visual cues that you may not even realize are there and you might be able to stay on tempo. But if you're just listening to someone else's song and you're trying to get a tight rhythm and they were kind of just freewheeling it off the top of their head, tapping their foot, it might be really hard for you to match that. So having everybody work to an agreed upon click track will be helpful there. Yeah, it makes it easier too whenever you decide to record later on. I had this situation happen with um, a band I was recording where they had no recording experience before, had never been to a studio, and just had written all their songs and played them live. And what wound up happening was it was so difficult for them to play along with a click track in the studio because they would play their verses faster than their choruses or... They would start at a tempo and continuously speed up the whole way through the song mm. um, to the point where, not that they were bad musicians, but it got to the point where they were so comfortable with always playing a song in uh, the specific like feeling that they always had of playing it together where they were just used to always speeding up in the choruses or uh, that it sounded weird to them to keep a steady beat the whole way through the song. and. There's nothing wrong with having a variable tempo in a song. I've done that a couple times. It can be cool, but um, 
it should be a decided upon thing. It should be a conscious choice rather than uh, just kind of a habit that you slip into. Absolutely. Yeah, I've done the same thing too. And that's where the tempo map comes into play, which is which is a really cool feature. So you can you can map out your song to say, okay, I have eight bars of verse, then I go into the chorus. You can speed that chorus up by two BPM if you wanted to, if you know you like to play that part faster, if it feels right. But again, yeah, I think what you said is perfect is it should be like an agreed upon kind of choice. Otherwise, everybody's just forced to play to whatever the first person who recorded it did. And that can be really challenging. Right. Another another nice feature is in a lot of DAWs, you can export that tempo map. So like if you're both using the same DAW, like if you're both using Studio One, there's actually a way to export that tempo map and send it as like almost like a MIDI file. And then mm-hmm. um, another person can have that, uh, that same mapping. That's super helpful. Number four is consolidate your clips. And what that means is if you picture your session and you might have multiple tracks in that session, let's say you have a guitar one track and then you have a guitar two track and guitar two is only playing, let's say during the choruses. So instead of having one continuous file or clip in that track, you have multiple clips that are kind of scattered uh, throughout the uh, throughout the session. If you just find those files, those clips, and you send them to somebody the analogy I use is it's like sending them like a box of puzzle pieces, loose puzzle pieces, and then telling them to like help work on the picture and the puzzle. Like they have to assemble it first, which is going to be nearly impossible because in your session file, there is embedded timestamp information for each clip. So when you open your session, the session knows where to put each little puzzle piece, but whoever you're working with may not have that, uh, may not have the same DAW and they don't have that same uh, embedded information. So the way around this, one way around this, is something called clip consolidation. At least that's what it's called in Pro Tools. And what it means is basically in your Guitar 2 track where you have multiple clips, all those clips will be joined into a single clip that is the same length as the length of the song. So that it'll insert silences where there are silences and you'll end up with one cohesive clip. So what you should try to do is do that for all of your tracks so that you end up with each track having clips that are the same exact length. When the other person loads those files in, they'll all they'll be able to line all those files up with the 000 timestamp and everything will already be aligned. Whatever DAW you're working with, just find out uh, normally in the manual or you could search online, but find out the method that your DAW uses to export stems or files because mm. uh I believe when I first started, I couldn't figure out, well, how do I get this recorded uh, clip idea out of here and to share with somebody else? And I think what I might have tried to do is just click and drag from my session into Windows Explorer and try to upload that in, in some way. And I might have been successful, but the problem is, is when you export that and load it into a session, that session doesn't know where that clip belongs in the context of a song. Uh, But in Studio One, if you do the export stems feature, it automatically will make every piece of audio uh, in your session line up with the beginning and the end of your song. Very cool. So it'll, it'll basically bounce out each track as an individual file? Yes. Awesome. Yeah, Pro Tools has a similar feature, and then there's also the Consolidate Clip feature, which you can do inside the session where you basically highlight all of your clips and you hit a little keyboard shortcut, which is Alt-Shift-3 on Windows, 
and it just kind of makes all the clips. So even in the session, they look like continuous files. But mm. yeah, those are, I like that export stems is probably a more industry standard way of uh, saying that. Mm-hmm. Cool. For um, file sharing, there's a number of different options. Google Drive is is free for, I think, up to like 15 gigabytes, I think is free. I think it's 15. Yeah. Yeah, 15. So you can, you can, it's really convenient. You can set up folders in there. Um, probably Dropbox lets you do the same thing and others. You basically share those folders with a specific person. Um, that's a convenient way of doing it. I think you use, you use FilePass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use FilePass as well, which is a paid service. Um, does has some additional features. Um, there's no shortage of things there, but definitely take advantage of those cloud solutions rather than trying to email these files. Um, this one I want to talk to you about. We didn't talk about it last time in our offline discussion. Is be meticulous with your file naming and revision control. Mm. So this is something that's a big pet peeve of mine. I hate when people do underscore new or underscore this one because it's like it's only new until you make the next one or it's only you know when does something go from new to old so i'm a big fan of using i use r suffixes so i have my song name or my file name and then i do underscore r0 r1 r2 and that tells me what version i'm on so when i open my session files i know which one is the latest and it also helps communicate because somebody can say, hey, I really like the drums, the drum sound in, in R3, in Rev3. And you're like, okay, I know exactly where that is and I can pull it up at a moment's notice. What's, um, what's your naming convention? My file naming conventions are, uh, I'll put the artist or the band name first, the song uh, that I'm working on. And then uh, I put a couple different things. So if it's a recording session, I put in brackets rec, R-E-C. And normally I don't have to amend that at all. That session stays that way. And the reason that I do that is because I do both recording and mixing. So once I'm done with all the recording, then I'll consolidate all my uh, clips. I'll export those stems and I'll open it into a new session that's named exactly the same, except I'll put in brackets mix. So I know what stage of the process that I'm in. And... uh, then from mix, what I'll do is once I start working on um, sending out mix mixes for the band to look over, I'll title a new file. Um, I'll hit save as and then call it mix one. And then I send it out to the band. And if they give me any changes that they want, which normally they do, um, then I open that session again. And before I start making any changes, I'll hit save as, and I'll change that file name to mix2. Then that's where I do all of my work in. I hit control S. Uh, There's an autosave feature, but I still hit control S all the time to make sure it's saved. Um, But then that way, you don't get into the issue of maybe you're three mixes down the road and, you know, a a band member might say, you know, I really like the guitars more on mix1. And if you haven't been keeping, I guess, keeping um, bookmarks of where all these mix changes are, you just have to mentally go back through hurdles in your head of what did I do in mix two that I need to undo in mix two and three to get back to one. And that's just an impossible task. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That used to happen to me all the time. I became really religious about this. Yeah. Every time I 
every time I reopen a session after I've sent something to somebody, I do a save as for that same reason. This has happened to me on recent projects. Some guy was like, man, I keep going back to the bass tone on Rev Zero. And I'm like, I don't remember what the hell that was. I don't remember yeah. what I did there. <laughs> it's terrible. It's a bad feeling. Okay. Number seven is something that we do all the time. Talk over video chat. And yeah. This is something that's, I think, even affecting a lot of people who are working from home right now is there's so much of a visual component for communication that we take for granted when we're speaking to somebody in person. And especially when we're talking about abstract things like music ideas and creativity, having that ability to make eye contact and use your hands can really not be overstated. So Mm -hmm. for things like revision controls, working out parts, um, spitballing ideas, use video chat. FaceTime, Google Hangouts, Skype, WhatsApp, they're all good free options. I completely agree. And latency might still be an issue where you can't play live with your bandmates over Skype, uh, Google Hangouts. But what you can do is if somebody has a fleshed out idea, uh, one band member could play their guitar part and then wait for feedback and then you could work on feedback and say well what if you did this thing and see um it's maybe not quite as good as being in the same room and all playing together at the same time but you can still get a lot of stuff done that way as well yeah yeah that's a great point um i like that a lot is is just being able to get that feedback real time while you're playing the part can also save you some time over them having to record the part and then send it to you and then you listen to it and then you provide feedback where it's like it can be more a little more instant mm-hmm. which is nice okay number eight was um oh, i lost my place here it's use some commercially available tools i started looking into this a little bit and i was actually surprised that there are more options for this sort of thing than i was expecting one that i found was something called source connect which is a it seems like one of the, the higher-end uh, options that is a little bit pricier, but it effectively lets you do some of this real-time collaboration. You need pretty good uh, internet to do this, but it, they claim, I've never tried any services like this, but they claim with their system you get low enough latency to actually be able to play simultaneously. Hmm. with people remotely. Interesting. I'm on their website now, see if I can see it. What's their definition of pretty good internet? Like what's the download upload speed have to be? That's a good question. So let's see if I can find that spec. Because I'm I'm pretty good here in my house. I've got 100 megabits, 100 megabits per second download speed. That's pretty good. But I don't know if that would be good enough. Yeah, that's a good question. And I would definitely, like I said, my experience with these is zero. I have no experience with yeah. it. But just looking and just curious uh, whether there were solutions, it does seem there are. And so actually one of their solutions is um, specifically says remote recording. So it says remote recording software enables studios, voice actors, musicians, and producers to collaborate globally, bringing down the cost and fostering borderless creativity. So definitely worth looking into if you have some needs for either practicing or live recording remotely. There's a couple mm. of these other solutions as well. Um, another platform is Splice, which you may have heard of. Splice is a little bit different. It's like a cloud-based c- 
collaboration portal. It lets people share mixes with either privately or publicly with a community. They also have a large um, library of sounds and samples. You can, um, you can, I think, purchase sounds and beats and things like that. And they've also actually recently made a kind of a basic DAW, like a cloud-based DAW that you could actually sequence some beats in. And um, the capabilities seem a little bit limited, but it's still pretty cool for um, if you're just getting into stuff and just want to make some beats and and practice. I was messing around with Splice a little bit because they did a partnership. I don't know if it still exists, but a partnership with Studio One. And the most appealing feature to me, well, they had two really interesting and unique features. One was you could rent to buy plugins. So you could rent them for a month and then it keeps track of how much you're paying for them. And eventually if you pay the full amount, you own it. No way. Yeah. So that was a really cool and it didn't exist for every plugin, but a lot on their website gave you that feature, which is really cool. You know, if you are not sure if you want to spend a hundred or whatever it is, $200 on FG stress, you know, Slate's uh, de-stressor plugin, you can just rent it for 10, 15 bucks a month. Is that pretty much like any plugin you could think of, or they have certain OEMs that they are working with? I think certain OEMs, but I was surprised at the amount that they let you do that with, and especially um, with some higher quality companies out there. So that was the first thing. I've never used that service, but it seems cool. Um, The second thing was they had some kind of unique automated backup system for your sessions and session files. Hmm. So you could tell it to... Um, and this seemed really appealing to me because I've tried some other automatic backup solutions and I either couldn't get them to automatically back up when I wanted them to, or they would just try to back up my whole system or try to mirror my whole hard drive and it was taking forever. And I wanted to tell it, no, don't, you don't need to copy and, uh, and back up all these things. I just need these things backed up. But it seemed like Splice, you could tell it, uh, update every session that you work on throughout the day at midnight and it would do that, which seemed like a super helpful feature. Um, and now the, is this, is this basically like a backup function or does it only apply to the work you've done in splice? No, no, it's a backup function for, for studio one. So it, oh, for it studio seemed, one specifically. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't know if it works for other DAWs, but they had a partnership where it might've been a beta where they were trying it out. They're, they're very ambitious, Splice, and they're constantly rolling out new features. Um, so definitely worth checking them out. That's very cool. I didn't realize that. I think Avid has something similar for um, a cloud-based solution for, uh, for Pro Tools users, uh, but I haven't uh, looked into it much. Another really interesting one I found was called Jam Kazam, which is, again, it kind of claims to do the same thing. Seems maybe a little more affordable than Source Connect. And Basically, here's their you know their mission is play music live and in sync with others from different locations, hmm. rehearse without travel or space, co-write and produce music live, join open sessions to jam with others, and they actually make a piece of hardware called the Jam Blaster, which is awesome. But it's basically like a little two-channel interface for a smartphone, and um, it's got two of those. Um, what are they called? The uh, the jacks that take XLR or quarter inch. Mm. I guess it um, it lets you basically live broadcast yourself. So you could plug, you know, a microphone directly into this thing through your smartphone, then stream live through uh, 
YouTube or whatever other uh, channels there are. So I guess the point here is not we're not experts on this stuff, but there are some solutions out here that are cropping up that may be worth your time taking a look at if you really have a burning need to do this kind of live, real-time collaboration stuff. Uh, I just had an idea. It might not be a super great one, but an idea to maybe um, collaborate live with your bandmates. Um, now, granted, latency on any free software, so be that Skype or uh Facebook Live or Google Hangouts, latency is going to be too bad for all of your bandmates to practice together at one time. But maybe one thing you could do if you still want to record ideas down, and I know that this can definitely work for, uh, so let's say a band where uh, your guitar player is basically the um, the main songwriter in the band, and he he's basically playing or she is playing the whole content of the song it starts with the guitar intro and there's guitar the whole way through and to into the outro um you could have uh, a google hangout or a skype session set up where everybody's watching um that guitar player and you just play along to what he's playing and if everybody records their audio individually then you might be able to send all that audio to each other and stitch it together after the fact um but you would all have to play off of one person because if you were all trying to listen back and forth, it's just not going to work. That's actually a great idea. And even that person that's kind of, let's say, the leader can have a click track that's audible through. Yeah. And you're right. As long as you don't stop, I could see that working. That's interesting. I don't know if there's any kind of jitter issues with sample rates not matching up, um, if that's possibly going to affect it or not but it's worth a shot i like that if somebody out there tries it let us know or has tried it let us know if it works or not i'm i'm very curious yeah and i mean that's kind of how we're recording this podcast except you know being in sync rhythmically is not as important for us although we definitely are we're we're right in sync i would i would venture again absolutely but uh yeah that's basically how we're doing it is then you basically you send me the audio file from the session and i just line it up in here which if there was a click track reference would be uh very doable very easy to do almost like syncing audio with video if you've ever done that on shooting video uh, the last thing I'll say is there there are a lot of good smartphone options and tablet options for DAWs these days. One that I like to use a lot for capturing ideas is a is an app called J4 Multitrack, J4T. It cost a couple of bucks. I don't know what it costs now. I think I paid like five or six bucks for it back in the day. It's basically a small four-channel mixer, and you could record each channel individually and you could set up a click track so the way i use this is if i have like a guitar riff or something that i want to develop i'll set up a click track i'll put in my headphones i'll record that guitar part just using my just the microphone the built-in mic on my smartphone Mm -hmm. and then i can layer things on top of that using the other three channels Mm. and then it has export options where i can then export that as a wave file with or without the click um mp3 file and so on so then i can i just use that basically to track song ideas Mm, cool idea yes and um that's it that's all i have where else do you have any other tips tricks that you use working remotely with people maybe just one thing i'll tag on to the the phone recording idea i love to use my phone for just grabbing ideas whether it's a drum beat or just humming a riff 
I do that all the time. But one thing to keep uh, an eye out for is just be aware of what format your whatever software you're using on your phone to record. Um, take note on what format it's recording in because sometimes it can get really tricky to uh, open those files on different systems if you're sharing it back and forth. I know that on my old phone, it recorded in some goofy... Like AMR or something like that? Yeah, something... I think it might have been AMR or something uh, even more uh, rare type of format. And it was impossible to find a converter online to change it into something that my doc could read. So a simple solution to that is if there's a selector that says... Uh, do you want AMR, MP3, or Wave? Then just pick the one that's easiest to share and for everybody to open if you're sharing ideas. That's a great point. Yep. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I actually, this is where I ran into this issue where somebody sent me, they actually recorded to a click track, but on their phone. I did end up finding, it's like Zamzar or something. There's some kind of online converter that I found. And I was able to do the conversion, but what I found was even though I had the click map, it was changing tempos and things. And I knew what it was because he had written it out for me. I couldn't get, the tempo would walk hmm. throughout the song, even when it was supposed to be the same. And I think that's where that sample rate uh, issue maybe was a little bit of a problem. It wasn't bad, but it was like a couple of tenths here and there, it would be off and I'd have hmm. to like realign it to work on it, which is weird. Yeah. No, I think we covered everything else though. These, are, these have been some really great tips and tricks. Uh, We'd also love to hear if anybody else has some tips or tricks for working remotely. Uh, if we haven't mentioned them in the podcast, please join our Facebook community and share them on there. We'd love to hear. Absolutely. Like always, it's always a pleasure, Vadim. Likewise, Ben. And this is the DIY Recording Guys, reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Have a good one, everyone. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support See you next week.